Hey, I'm Dave, and thanks so much for checking out today's message. We're so glad that you are here, and we would love to get connected to you and your family. So one easy way to do that is that you can text the word River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some of our upcoming events. Lastly, if you'd like to give today to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website, click on the Give tab right at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Josh. I'm the location pastor here at the River Church Lake Orion, and I'm just so glad that you chose to be here with us today, whether in person or online. Um, I say it on these holidays, but if you're on a boat, I don't like you very much, but I'm glad you're joining us this morning. Um, not really. I'm glad you're able to, be, to enjoy whatever you're enjoying this morning. You joined us this morning online. So, um, But first of all, I want to say that Elijah, our uh, our family director did just a great job last Sunday. I appreciate him preaching last week. And yeah, let's go ahead. Go ahead and give him, give him a, hand of, a round of applause. Um, I do love that about who we are at the river is that we're not about being about a certain person at a location or a person that leads our church. We want to lead together. And so every six, seven weeks, every location pastor of the River Church takes a Sunday off and it affords somebody else the opportunity to speak. And, and you get to hear from a different perspective, which is good for you. It's good for you to not have to listen to me every single week. Don't agree with that. That would hurt my heart this morning. Ah, uh, you're not supposed to be. All right, anyway. Um, but it's good. It's good for you to hear somebody else. It's good to come back the next Sunday re- reinvigorated. And, you know, it's just, it's a great thing. I love that we have the opportunity to give that opportunity to other other people at our location. And so Elijah did a great job last week. He talked about um, our next steps and how we take our next step in our faith. He talked about getting in the Bible, worship, praying, serving, and he talked about what it takes to get closer to God, and I just appreciate that. I, we need to be reminded of that. And as I listened to that, it actually stirred something in me that I've been wanting to speak about for a while. This Sunday is what we lovingly call the one Sunday a year that is called Preacher Sunday. So I get to choose whatever the topic is, and I'm kind of going, kind of going off of what Elijah said last week. Something that's been stirring in my heart for a while, just about myself and about the church in a whole, whole, not just the river, Lake Orion, or the river, all nine locations, or the, just the church as a whole, and where we're at. And so I have a question for us this morning. It's the basis of everything we're going to talk about today, but it's something that we may not think about so often, and it's directly related to what Elijah talked about last week. And it's related to what we're going to talk about over the next three, four weeks or so of our vision here at the River Church of reaching the lost, gathering the saints, and growing in Christ. So are you ready? We got there. All right. So here it is. What do you seek first? What do you seek first? What are you going after in your life? What do you seek first? Because Jesus has something to say about this, and I want to turn. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It'll be on the screen behind me. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit this morning. The verses will be behind me. I also think it's important that you're able to see it in God's Word. That's why from time to time I, I always make sure that I have the Bible and I read some passages out of here, just not off my iPad, because I want you to know I'm reading it from God's Word. It's not my opinion. It's His Word. And so you can download the River Church app. We have the Bible there. You can download the Version app. Um, you can also fall on the screen behind me, all right? But Jesus has something to say about this. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so these words of Jesus really, really, really made me think and caused me to consider this question, who or what do I seek first? What do, we, what do I seek first? Because what you seek first will determine your eternal destiny. What you seek first will determine your eternal destiny. It'll determine your family. It'll determine your days. It'll determine your moments. What you seek first is a big deal. And so if we look a little bit more at this, at this expansion of what Jesus had said here, I want to go ahead and start in verse 25. It'll be on the screen, but I want to read this together. I'll start in verse 25 where Jesus says this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. I would venture to say what you seek first will determine whether or not you are truly anxious about your life. I mean, Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything here. And well, because what do we really worry about the most? 
Oftentimes it's related to how we're going to provide for ourselves, for our family. How am I going to make money? But in reality, the kind of clothes we buy and what we do, who do you want to impress? What do you seek first with what you purchase? Well, well who, do you, who, are, who are you trying to impress with, with what you have? I mean, do we really trust that we're going to get what we need? But the issue becomes is if we're seeking first what we want, all of a sudden our lives become about what we want, not who we're becoming. And it's crazy. Every time I have an opportunity, you know, I, 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 when I'm out in the world and I just kind of watch and observe, we went to the uh, Michigan game yesterday. Uh, for, ha- for half of the game. And I am amazed at how selfish all of us can be. You're not allowed to take bags in for security purposes, but we saw women hiding their bags under their dresses because they wanted to do what they wanted to do. You know? We got there late, and I don't know if you've ever been to Michigan Stadium, but you get a number with about this much room for your rear end. Right? And so we got there about an hour late. Well, I'm going to say about 15, 20 minutes late because we got there at 11.15. Then it took us an hour to get into the stadium. By the time we got to our seats, nobody would scoot over enough for the four of us to sit down. Jeannie wasn't able to watch the game. I, and, the, and people were just rude about it. They would not even talk to us about it. When they did, they were very, very rude. And I'm just thinking, man, we are so absolutely selfish. And what do we seek first? ourselves. We seek ourselves first more than anything else. And so when it comes here, Jesus says, wait a minute, if you trust me, what you eat, what you drink, all these kind of things, are, you don't have to worry about those things. But yeah, what do we find ourselves seeking first? How do I get to the next rung on the ladder? What does that next promotion look like? And I'm going to sacrifice everything, including my family and my relationship with God to get more money or to get more recreation or to get more whatever it looks like. I'm going to seek first everything other than Jesus and then we wonder why we're, ne- we're never content. Is there ever contentedness in your life? Is there ever a moment where you feel like, wow, thank you, God. I may not have everything I want, but God, I've got you. And I've got, look at this family, God. Look at this situation, I got. Look at what you've given me, Lord. See, the apostle Paul figured out how to be content when he had a lot and when he had a little. Paul talks about that in one of his letters. He had been rich, he had been poor, and everything in between. But if I'm honest, I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta confess too, I am amazed at my own discontentedness at times. And the things that I strive for, they're worth nothing. We're all in that boat, aren't we? How can we get to what's next? That's usually our question. It's so easy to focus on what we want and lose focus on the one that we should seek first. It's so easy to do that. And then Jesus answered this question in verse 26 of 34. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to, your, to, to his span of life? Some of us really need to hear that verse this morning. So I'm going to read it one more time. Because I, I need to hear it too, because I struggle with anxiety in my life too. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then here's our verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Man, we got to seek him first. And then these things are added to you. But we get it backwards all the time, don't we? We seek all the things first and then go, Jesus, bless what I'm doing. Oh, man. When you think about it, when you really think about it, Jesus probably knows a little bit more than you and me, yeah? Maybe just a little bit, right? I used to hate it when my parents used to tell me that, believe me, I know more than you. Okay, mom. Okay, dad. And then I say it to my kids, and I'm like, oh, man, that's just the worst, right? I mean, 
How many of you become, no, don't raise your hands. I say, how many of you have become your parents? Um, but yes, yeah, that's, that's the truth. I mean, in the workplace, how often do we have mentors that help us learn about our jobs? Why? Because they've experienced things that you haven't experienced and they can help you grow. See, Jesus experienced it all. He came to earth and experienced it. And he loves you more than we could even ever imagine. And yet so oftentimes we decide to go after what we want and then say, God bless what we're doing. Rather than say, Jesus, what do you want so that I can be blessed by doing what you want me to do? There's a big difference between those two things. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, not my kingdom and my righteousness. So how do you go about doing that? How do you go about seeking God's kingdom first? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is the next, is the next scripture we have to look at this morning. And it, and it relates specifically to what Elijah talked about last week. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. And it's one of the most challenging passages of scripture as far as I see in, in, in God's word. Paul's writing to the Romans and he says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we have to be transformed. If we're going to really seek seek Jesus first, we have to be transformed. And how does that happen? By the renewal of your mind. How is your mind formed? By what you put in it. Your mind is formed by what you put in it, what you listen to. Whether you're listening to truth or whether you're listening to lies. And the line between truth and lies is sometimes very, very thin. Because I have to remind you this morning, a 99% truth is a 100% lie. I will. There's a 99%, 99% truth is a 100% lie. It's, that's, that's, that's just the reality. If any percentage of it is, is lie, it poisons the rest of it. And that's how we get deceived. We start listening to things that sound really, really good, and it gets our seeking onto something other than who Jesus is because we think it's going to fulfill us more than Jesus will. And when we get our eyes off of him, that's where we fail. And so if we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, how do we renew our mind? Right here. It's with the word of God. Because this is God's word to us. This is 100% truth. And if we don't focus on what God has for us in his word, we can't have our minds transformed. We have to get into the word. We have to know the why behind what we do, though. We've got to know the why. The why is important. I mean, the reality is, I don't want to eat well. I like pizza and ice cream and pop and all of those things. Can I get an amen in the house this morning? All right. But the reality is, it's not good for me. I I spent almost 20 years in youth ministry and I never stopped eating like a teenager. That's my problem. And so now I'm dealing with those consequences. But why do I want to get healthier? Because I want to be here for my girls' lives. I want to see my grandkids. I want to be married as many years as I can to my wife, Jeannie. That's the why. Doesn't mean there isn't still a struggle, but that's the why. You have to know the why. The why we do what we do helps determine what we seek first. The why we do what we do is what helps determine what, we, what or who we seek first. The reason we struggle so much, the reason why, why things can get so very difficult in every situation is because we get our eyes off of God and we don't understand always the why. I realize life is a lot more complicated than I have time to be able to go into the specifics this morning. We're going to be talking about general principles as we continue. But whether our circumstances change or not, what we seek first will determine how we respond to those circumstances. And the reason we get into the word of God is because it will transform our minds to understand more of who God is, how he works, and how he loves us. And if we can become, and we can really understand that and believe that, it will transform your life. If you understand that in every situation you are loved, in every situation there is help, there is hope, there is strength, because you are loved by a God who is ever-present. If you begin to understand that, if you live it every day, if you get into God's word and you hear it said by God himself, it will transform your life. 
But we wonder why we don't, aren't transformed, because we don't get into God's word. We really don't. And there's a reason why getting into God's word can be the hardest thing we can do. Many of us here go, well, I'm told all the time to read the Bible. I have no idea where to start. I'm going to give you some basic principles this morning. I'm teach preaching today, all right? I'm about to move into some teaching because I wanted to give us something really practical on what it means to dig into God's word, on how to do it on a, on a devotional level, on a daily level, to be able to do that. But there's a reason why we struggle with getting into God's word. It's kind of like going to the gym. Getting to the gym is the hardest part of getting to the gym. Actually getting there, actually getting in the car or whatever it takes to get to the gym is the hardest thing. Once you're there, you're like, well, I'm here now. I guess I might as well get on the stinking treadmill. You know, I mean, but you have to get there first, right? So uh, there's a quote from J.I. Packer, who's a renowned theologian. He wrote the foreword to knowing scripture for his friend, R.C. Sproul. And this is what he wrote in this foreword. He said this, if I were the devil, please, no comment. One of my first aims would be to stop people from digging into the Bible. Knowing that it is the word of God, teaching people to know and love and serve the God of the word, I should do all I could to surround it with the spiritual equivalent of pits, thorn hedges, and traps to frighten people off. With smug conceit, no doubt, as if receiving a compliment, I would acknowledge that wise old Jonathan Edwards had me absolutely pegged when he wrote, the devil never would attempt to beget in persons a regard to that divine word which God has given to be the great and standing rule. Would the spirit of error, in order to deceive men, beget in them a high opinion of the infallible rule and incline them to think much of it and be very conversant with it? The devil has never shown a mortal spite and hatred towards that holy book, the Bible. He has done all in his power to extinguish that light. He is engaged against the Bible and hates every word in it. I would labor every day to prove Edward's words true. How? Well, I would distract all clergy from preaching and teaching the Bible and spread the feeling that to study this ancient book is directly a burdensome extra that modern Christians can forgo without a loss. In other words, the Bible's too hard to understand. How many times have you thought that before? Don't raise your hand, but how many times have you thought that before? I should broadcast doubts about the truth and relevance and good sense and straightforwardness of the Bible. And if any still insisted on reading it, I would lure them into assuming that the benefit of the practice lies in the noble and tranquil feelings evoked by it rather than in noting what Scripture actually says. In other words, I'm going to come to God's Word to feel good. I'm not actually going to do anything about it. How many times have you had that thought before? At all costs, I would want to keep them from using their minds in a disciplined way to get to the measure of its message. If I were the devil, taking stock today, I think I might be pleased at the progress I had made. But I would be very far from pleased to see this book by my friend, which is who wrote Knowing Scripture. Man, God's word is so important. You wonder why it's so hard to get to it? Because you have an enemy that doesn't want you to get to it. Because he knows it'll transform your life. He knows it'll transform your life. So, First of all, we have to understand and remember that the Bible is our authority and it is the word of God. These are God's words to you. And if you have questions about that, please ask me. The, 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 the reliability of God's word has been under attack for years. A lot of people attack it today, want to call it an ancient book that isn't applicable. It couldn't be more further from the truth. It couldn't be more far from the truth. God's word is true and it is his word to us. God inspired men to write his words to us so that we could know him and follow him. The Bible is how we know God and how we hear God. You have to hear that. The Bible is how we know God and how we hear God. There are, I, I think there's so many people in the world that say, I want to follow Jesus, I want to follow Jesus. And you ask them, when's the last time you picked up the Bible? Maybe once every six months. And I want to tell you this morning, don't you dare rely upon me to be all you get from God's word. Don't do that. I could be wrong. I try to, I mean, I try to correctly divide God's word, but I am not perfect. I love you and care about you and I want you to hear God's word, but get into God's word for yourself. And when I'm, wor- when I'm wrong, take me to Starbucks to be nice to me a little bit and then smack me upside the head. All right? But seriously, don't just take my word for it. It's his word. Not about, not about me or any other of our location pastors at the river. The Bible is how you become a disciple who makes disciples. A disciple is basically a follower of Jesus. I love in the ancient Jewish traditions of the Talmudin, they had, every rabbi had these followers. They were called Talmudin. And these 
Jesus' disciples were Jesus' Talmudim. And there was a saying that they said to these students, these followers, that's so very important, I think it's for us here, they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. May you walk so close to him that the dust he kicks up off of his sandals would be all over you. So, how can we be covered in the dust of our rabbi, Jesus Christ? How can we be covered in his dust? Well, we want to make disciples, we want to be a disciple. Ezra 710 says this, Ezra the prophet had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. There's three things we have to do. We have to know God's word, which means we have to study it. We've got to get into it. It can't just be, I'm going to spend my minute with God this morning so I can have a cup of coffee and feel good about my day. That is not necessarily what reading reading God's word is about. If that's where you're starting, praise God. Start there. But if you're there after two years, you got to grow. You got to grow. Get into his word a little bit more. So know God's word. Study it. Be God's person. Obey it. And do God's work. Disciple others. Know God's word. Study it. Be God's person. Obey it. And do God's work. Disciple other people. And when you're looking at God's word, there's all kinds of different ways you can look at God's word to be able to understand it better. There's different methods of being able to study. One of the best methods I've found is called the SOAP method. You may want to take a few notes on this one. It won't be on the screen. If you want to talk to me later or email me, I'll give you this stuff. But it's called the SOAP method. It's an acrostic. What do you think S might be? Scripture. That's right. You've got to start with God's word. You start with the passage of scripture you're going to read. And this works with just about any reading plan you can find. Um, I got to tell you, if you're new to reading the Bible, download an app called YouVersion, Y-O-U Version. There are so many reading plans in there about every topic you can imagine. It's, it has all kinds of different versions of scripture so that you can read. I'm going to tell you this too. Find a translation of scripture that you can read easily. If you want to read King James Version and that's your jam, that's great. The majority of us don't get the these and thous all the time. And shock of all shocks, Jesus wasn't British. All right? Every movie you watch, he's like, hello. It's like, what? No, he was Jewish. All right? Um, But the reality of it is, is you got to find a translation of Scripture that you can read. We use the ESV, the English Standard Version, to preach from. I think it's one of the most, personally, I think it's one of the most accurate translations of Scripture we have. All right? New King James is another good one. But I recommend people read the New Living Translation. I love the New Living Translation for devotional reading. It's, it's a great translation of Scripture. And so you can disagree with me on that. That's fine. And if you're like, why do we have all these different translations of Scripture? I don't have time to go into that this morning. Talk to me about it later. All right? I would love to talk to you about that too. But... And the reason I get passionate about this is because if you get into God's word, gosh, guys, if 15% of us would get into God's word on a daily basis, it would change this church. It would. It would change our lives. This is so important for us. As we start getting into this new year, we're starting growth communities here starting next Sunday. There's so much happening this fall. There's so many opportunities for you to grow in your faith. And we have a bunch of people in the Lake Orion community that need Jesus. How are we going to carry him with us everywhere we go? We got to be in God's word about it. We got to be in God's word. So you start with scripture. You have to actually read it in order to understand it. Maybe read it a few times. Find a translation you could actually read, all right? O, the O of soap, is observation. You want to observe the scripture. You want to look at it. I mean, this is, this is kind of almost study 101, though. If you're in college, you've got to read a lot of books. It's probably the worst part of college. You've got to read books and write papers. It's the way it is, you know. And you've got to write papers on things that weren't even covered in class. How fair is that, right? Um, but the reality is we have to observe it. So there's some steps for observation. You've got to look at the context, right? So if I'm reading a verse in the Bible, we have to be careful with this one because you have to observe it well. This is called loosely a hermeneutical method. In other words, a way of interpreting scripture. Let me tell you this. There's a lie going around all around the world today that people say, well, that's your interpretation of it. My friends, there is one correct interpretation of scripture, only one. There's many applications, but if our interpretations are not the same, one of us is wrong. Maybe both of us. Because I think once we all get to heaven, we're going to go, huh, miss that one. Because we're all imperfect, right? That's another reason, I'm kind of jumping around today, but that's another reason why we keep the main thing of the main thing, the river, at the river. 
Jesus and him crucified. We're going to keep him the main thing. We can be from different backgrounds and different stuff, but if we don't believe Jesus and him crucified, then that's, that's the message of the, of, the, of the entire Bible. That's super simplified, but it's what it is. So we have to look at the context. You got to look at who wrote it. Who wrote that passage of scripture? Why, and why did he write it? What was his personality? Who was he writing to? Who was his audience? You know, there's, there were some things I was taught in a very conservative Baptist church that I just accepted because my pastor told me. And years later, I looked at it and I went, there is no way that Paul meant what I was told. There's no way that you can get that interpretation for what Paul would have understood. And there's also no way that the people that he was writing to could have ever thought the things that I was taught. I mean, that may fit our own theology, but it doesn't fit the context of what was being said. So you have to understand that. And I've said this before. If, if, if I wrote a, a love letter to Jeannie right now, and you were like 50 years down the road, and you read this love letter, and you're like, oh, man, Josh and Jeannie had the most epic romantic relationship of all time, and I want to emulate it, right? And I said something about walking on the beach is the, is, the, is the way I love her. And you think, the only way I can show love is by walking on the beach with my wife. Right? Yeah, some of you are like, amen, praise Jesus, right? But would that be a correct interpretation of that letter that I wrote to Jeannie? No. But yet we do that with God's word all the time. We have to understand that, yes, the Holy Spirit is definitely in these words. And he helps us understand them. But God's word is also still a literary work that we have to understand context. Look the verse before, look the verse behind. Always do that. Ask good questions of the text. Ask good questions. What does the author mean? What did the audience hear? And what's the point of what the author is trying to say? Again, this is super basic, but I want to give us some basic rules and ideas for understanding scripture. So, so S, scripture, O, observation, A, application. James 1.22 to 25 says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There's a big difference between knowing and understanding God's word. For some of us in this room, the biggest, you have a distance between you and Jesus of 16 inches. For a lot of us. I guess on this, this side of my thing, that's 16 inches. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> but we have to travel that. There's some of us here that have known about God for decades. And you think knowing is better than understanding and knowing is better than actually living it out. It's not about what we know, it's about how we live and who we're becoming. See, in James, he talks about how a continual talker learns nothing, can't hear the voice of God. If you think you know it already, you can't learn. Gosh, don't we hear that in our culture all around today? I know it already, so I'm not going to listen to you. Hard to fill a cup that's already full. It's hard to fill a cup that's already full. James talks about our anger, our moral filth, our evil, and we see it in the world around us, but let's not think it's just outside of us. We see it in ourselves. We see it in ourselves. I see it in my own heart, my own thoughts, my, my attitudes. Ever had a thought go through your mind and go, whoa, where'd that come from? Yep. How do we move past any of this? Well, James tells us what understanding is. Don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. Don't just listen to it. Do what it says. Just because you have your rear end planted in church this morning does not mean you're living for Jesus. We've got to understand that. See, some of us are so religious, we think that we're living for God. But then we go home and we're terrible people to our families. We go to work and nobody wants to work with us because we're jerks. Guys, if we don't do what God's word says, then why are we reading it? God's word is meant to transform our minds, transform our lives. Granted, we all struggle with this. It's not like any of us is perfect in this. But we got to do what it says. 
Because what happens is that he illustrates it by, like, it's like going and looking in a mirror and, like, intently looking at this mirror and looking at all, the, all, all your face looks like. I looked at myself this morning and I went, yep, wore my hat backwards yesterday at the Michigan game. I have a line right across my forehead. So if you saw that, that's what happened. Hat backwards, you know, sunlight, yeah, sun does those things. But it's like looking at yourself and going, you turn around and go, wait a minute, what do I look like again? Wait a minute, what do I look like again? And you're in this weird place of just forgetting what you just looked at. Because there's a difference between understanding and knowing God's word. Now, there's some of us here that are brand new to this whole thing, and I just want to say you're welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You know, you're brand new to, to, to following Jesus or wondering what following Jesus is all about. I just want you to know that keep, I want you to know you, you can search for truth here. Keep searching for truth. Keep going after truth. And search for truth and don't accept anything less. Ask questions. I want you to know you're loved. And I want you to know you can belong here. If you ever have questions, please let me know. Go to guest services. We'd love to speak with you about those things. And there's some of us here that are truly wanting to seek Jesus and follow after him. And you're like, I'm in God's word. I'm trying to study it. I'm trying to understand it. That's great. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Keep letting God's word change you. But there were some, probably even the majority of us in this room this morning, that have looked in the mirror from time to time and we forget what we look like. Because again, there's a huge difference between knowing and understanding God's word. For some of us, we listen to the word. You might even listen to other location pastors here at the river. You might even go to other churches and listen to other people on, on YouTube. There, you might go to a community group and maybe you're watching a DVD of somebody talking about the Bible. You discuss the Bible with that group. You attend a Bible study and talk about the Bible. And that's great. But for many of us, when you look at God's word, you know it, but you don't understand it because you don't live it. Out of sight, out of mind. The listening lasts for a couple days, but then it's gone. My friends, we can do a lot of good things and not know Jesus. We gotta go after him. You have to be in God's word so it continually transforms us. And it's a struggle for all of us. It's a struggle for me too. One of the hardest things I struggle with is that being a pastor, I'm in God's word all the time, but my struggle is, is I read it for other people and not always for me. And so I have to focus and go, no, wait a minute, God, what do you have for me in this? Not what do you have for everybody I'm gonna speak to? Because it'd be really easy for me to compartmentalize that. And I have, to, I, have to, I have to guard against that all the time. Sometimes I do a okay job of it, and sometimes I really don't. So let's pray for each other in this. Because again, we have an enemy that doesn't want us to know God's word. And then how you begin to really do it, to apply God's word to your life, you have to look at it and you have to linger in it. You have to look at it. You got to read it and you let it go into you after you've observed it though. Because here's the thing. If you observe it incorrectly, if you interpret God's word incorrectly, your application will not be truth. My friends, it's how, I'm just going to throw this out there. It's how we got so much prosperity theology in the church. Because people read specific verses in the Bible and say, oh, Jesus wants me to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. No, he doesn't. It's not that he doesn't want good things for you, but my friends, people get sick and die. You may not be rich. Was Jesus rich? No. We have to interpret it correctly. So that's why this is so important. Observation is important. Application and how we live it out is so important. And how do we wrap it up? With the P, we pray. And we ask for God to help us live it. We ask for God to give us the strength to understand it. We continually bathe it all with prayer. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. I wanted to give us something really practical this morning. It's really, I feel like I'm skipping the rock right off the top, but, uh, but something to be able to walk away with this morning. I love what Elijah said last week about praying God's word back to him. And a way you do that, Psalm 23, the beginning of that, of that passage is, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. So you read this passage of scripture, and man, you're struggling with maybe what, make it ends meet, I don't know, and you go to God and you say, God, Lord, I'm going to trust you to be my shepherd, to lead me, and to give me what I need. God, your word says that, and I'm going to pray this right back to you. And you can do that all over scripture. The promises of scripture you can claim. Are you reminding God of his promises? No. You're reminding yourself that God holds you. It's applying, it's another way of applying God's word through prayer. Remember, prayer is a response to what you've heard from God, and it's a deep part of your relationship with God. I want to get back to seeking first as we close this morning. 
Again, we have to do it. We got to get into God's word and then we actually live it. And how do we see this in scripture? Well, the first church devoted themselves to Jesus and his teachings. Listen to this, Acts 2.42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking bread and the prayers. They devoted themselves. The thing about this verse, verse is that the action word devotion there in the Greek, it's called an imperfect word. And that means it's never done. It's something you always do. They devoted themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, the bringing of bread of prayers. It's ongoing. So they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was the testimony of Jesus, to the fellowship, gathering together, to the breaking of bread, hanging out with each other, and the prayers, a relationship with God. They devoted themselves to that, not just for an hour on Sunday morning. That's how they saw it first. What did this do for them? Well, the result was that everyone around them was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They were devoted to the things that made them close to God. They were seeking first Jesus and his kingdom and his righteousness. And then God added everything else. They were effective in ministry. Even non-believers looked at them and went, wow, these people are so full of love and they're doing so many miracles that were born out of seeking Jesus first, the one who mattered most. They were devoted to prayer, the word of God, fellowship and the breaking of bat, and the breaking of bread, hanging out together. They sought what mattered most. But here's the thing for us today. This, uh, I found this illustration. I was, I was reading a lot this week about all this. And Craig Groeschel, this is his little translation. It's the same verse, Acts 2.42, but it's from the modern Christian version. It's not really a version of scripture. It's just, a, it's made up. But it would go like this. They devoted themselves to themselves. They continually and passionately pursued a self-centered life of comfort and ease. See, so many of us, this describes. I mean, we're normal people, but we're not seeking Jesus first. You know, we want to be comfortable. We want to have our needs met. We want to get our wants. We want to be popular. Maybe we want to be TikTok famous. Some of you are like, what's TikTok? Okay, I get that. You want to be famous? but it's just normal stuff. Like I want to finish school. I want to have a job. I want to marry somebody who's really good looking and I want to have some kids and want to have a nice house and I want to one day travel the world and then I want to die and I want to go to heaven. That's just what it means to be a Christian, right? You're probably sitting here thinking, and that's, that's not me, that's not me. And I pray it's not. I hope it's not you. But I want to encourage you and even challenge you today. I want you to hear this. This is a tough one to hear. Stop being the victim of everything around you. Stop being the victim of everything around you. I can't, I mean, guys, when I come to you, when you haven't been to church for a little while, it's one of the things I almost hate about being a pastor. We haven't been to church a little bit and I call you or text you or I'm like, man, I've missed you. I'm not saying it because I want you to feel guilty. I, I'm just a dude that loves Jesus and I happen to lead a, a, a congregation. I actually do miss you. But every time I say that, people are like, oh, well, I had this and I had this. I'm like, it's okay. I'm just glad you're here. All right. But yet, in all the excuses we have, we've become a victim of everything else, haven't we? Well, I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I got to do this, and vacation here, and this there, and this there, blah, 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 my kids. And blah, blah. We have all this stuff that we just fill our time with. Listen to this for a second. Every single one of us has 168 hours in the week. That's how many hours you have in a week. If you're devoted to something you probably would agree that you would tend to choose to spend your time on what you're devoted to, right? So where do you spend your hours on a normal 168-hour 168 168 hour week? Well, for the majority of us, unless you have sleep apnea, you're spending a third of your time sleeping. How many of you like sleeping? I love sleeping. I love to sleep, but I'm a late-night op person. So early morning and me, uh-uh. I mean, I can do it if I have to but I'd rather get up around eight rather than six. All right, some of you are like, eight, that's like early too. Okay, I get it. I, I, used, I used to pull the, the, the video game all nighter in my 20s and 30s and not get up till three, the, the noon, noon, one, but not anymore. I, I, I have to do other things now. So, um, so I, I love a good night's sleep. So then you spend another third of your time going to work, a third of your time going to work or school, which leaves you exactly 56 flexible hours left. How many of you are on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever? How many of you are on there? 
oh, come on, those of you that didn't, you're just, you actually check it too. You're just like, oh, you're like, I don't spend time on social media. Okay, whatever. All right. Um, but if you're on social media, the average social media user spends 17 hours a week on social media. And if, you, if you're one of those that doesn't spend time on social media, you're going to spend it on something else. All right? We all have our stuff, right? But so we take up 17 of those 50-something hours remaining. You have 39 hours left for what we have all the other stuff. All the other stuff is taking your kids everywhere, and I mean everywhere. We take our kids everywhere. You can even take them to dance and piano and baton and soccer and algebra lessons and school and, and travel stuff and all this stuff and helping them with school. And then it's getting gas in your car, cleaning your car up, to, uh, cleaning your car really good once every seven years, right? Going to the grocery store, buying groceries, cooking something, cleaning them, paying your bills, paying your taxes, doing some sort of goat yoga because you thought it was a really good thing down the road, working out, being with your friends, binge watching the next series on Netflix. And so we have all this other stuff. And then I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's something I had to do. What else did I have to do? Wait a minute, what was it? Wait a minute, oh yeah. Oh, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. I got to give an hour to God a week. And do we even do that? Do we even do that? Do we even give the hour to God? Because we'll give the hour if it's convenient and if it fits in and I don't have anything else going on. I hope you devote more than an hour of God a week, but the many Christians don't even give the hour. Or say people that say they're Christians. And if I'm going to say what's obvious, if you only give an hour to a week of anything, you're not devoted to it. You're not. You're not going to grow or improve. If you exercise one hour a week, you're going to grow in that? No. If you spend one hour a week with your spouse, you're going to have a good marriage? No. You spend one hour a week on your homework, you're going to get a degree? No, you're going to fail. So if we're only partially devoted to God, if we only spend a little time with God, when it's easy, when it's convenient, when we don't have anything else to do, it's no wonder we fall back into the same old sins that we always go back to. It's no wonder that we rarely share our faith. It's no wonder that we're more concerned with what people think about us than what God thinks about us. It's no wonder we find ourselves being lukewarm. If we only give God what's left over, we have to ask ourselves, are we really devoted to him? Are we really devoted to him? If we want to live a life that's fully devoted to the things of Jesus, what I want you to know this morning, it's not going to happen by chance. It's not going to happen by accident because all that other stuff just seems to take over. It all takes over. And can I encourage you, especially those of you that are younger with families, I don't want anybody here to, say, here, to hear, here to hear me say that you shouldn't go on vacation. You shouldn't spend time with your family. That's not what I'm saying. But can I encourage you in something? When you're on vacation, don't take a vacation from Jesus. When you're on vacation with your family, what kind of a testimony is it to, to your children to say, look, we may be not at our church on a Sunday, but for this hour, we may be on vacation, but I'm gonna, we're going to go find a church and worship Jesus because he's that worthy. We're still going to give time on vacation to our God. On the flip side, what does it say if you don't do that? What does it say that every Sunday you're like, oh, well, I have sports and I have all this stuff. What does it say about God's, the importance of Jesus in a life? My friends, what one generation does sporadically, the next generation does consistently, and the next generation believes it to be truth. We have to be cautious about this. We want to know why our country, why our churches, why so many things are where we are, because we're not devoted to the one we say that matters most. We've got to be devoted to him because he's worthy. And the why is because he saved my soul. I wouldn't be the man I am today without him. I would probably be divorced and my girls would be with fatherless because I'm a jerk without Jesus. I know that about me. I am a selfish wretch. And Jesus has changed me. And he'll change you, but if we're not devoted to him, we can't wonder why we are where we are. But here's the bottom line this morning. What we have to walk away with, seeking God first means pre-deciding that you will follow Jesus in every situation. We have to decide ahead of time, not in the middle of the situation, but 
at the beginning, right now, today, when you get into God's word, I'm going to decide that today, this week, this month, this year, whatever it looks like, I'm going to pre-decide that I'm going to follow Jesus in every single situation. Because nobody becomes a spiritual giant overnight by going halfway with Jesus. But if we would seek Jesus first, what did he say? All these things would be added to us. If you seek Jesus first, you're going to be the spouse that your marriage needs. If you seek Jesus first, your kids are going to have the parent that they need. If you seek Jesus first, your career can be God's mission field for you. If you seek Jesus first, you can have the peace that passes all understanding in any circumstance that comes your way. It's not always going to be easy, but you can know you're held. Seeking Jesus first can change your circumstances. It might not, but it will change you in the midst of your circumstances. My friends, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not. It's not like everything, you follow Jesus today and everything will be easy. I wish I could say that. More people might actually (laughs) jump on board, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's like, you will never have another problem in your life. It's It's not how it works. But I will tell you, no matter how hard things have gotten, I know that my God is with me, that he hurts with me, that there's always a way out, that he hasn't left me, hasn't forsaken me, even though it feels like it sometimes. John 15, 5 says this, Jesus' words, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How does a branch live? How does a branch live and produce fruit? By and through the vine. By and through the vine. So what are the rules in this verse? Jesus is the? Who is he? Jesus is the? Vine. Come on, with conviction, people. Jesus is the? That's right. We are the? Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. I don't know if you knew that song. Maybe, maybe not. You're like, what did he just do? Learned it in Sunday school years ago. Those of you that have been in Sunday school most of your life, you knew exactly what I just did. All right? Us Christians sing weird songs in children's church. You know, it's just, it's just weird. But it's teaching scripture, right? Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. See, it's easy to look around and think that everything is happening to us and have excuses for why we live the way that we do and why we aren't seeing God work. It's because what we do is what's most important to us. Hear that this morning. What you do in your life is what is most important to you. Jesus stands waiting for you. He loves you. He died on the cross for you. And he is like that prodigal father, the father of the prodigal, waiting at the top of that hill, waiting for you to crest that hill. And he will run to you, but you've got to take a step toward him. He waits for you. But you do in your life what is most important to you. You've got to stop being a victim of your schedule. You've got to stop being a victim of your desires. Because you're not a victim. If you know Jesus this morning, you are more than a conqueror. But we live like peasants. You do what is most important to you. And what we do is determined by what we seek first. See, when you start seeking Jesus first, you don't have to come to church anymore. You don't have to get into God's word anymore. We don't have to pray. Because if we look at it that way, we're seeking someone or something else. What happens is there's a change. We want to because we know that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We're desperate for God's word. We desire to worship God because of who he is and what he's done in our lives. We long to spend time in prayer and with the one who saved us. My friends, seeking God is not relegated to a 10-minute period once a day. It's all day, every day, every situation, every relationship, every moment. And when you're seeking him first, all these things are added to you. You have 168 hours in this week. What are you going to do with them? We all have the same amount of time. Are we going to give God the leftovers? Will you give God leftovers this week? I pray you can declare, no, I'm not giving God the leftovers anymore. Pre-decide to follow Jesus before everything goes haywire and your connection to the vine will always sustain you. And so, I will seek the one who matters most. I am connected to the vine. I am devoted to Jesus. I'd like us to stand. We're going to worship here in a minute. Worship is going to come up. But here's the thing. I'd like us to sit here a minute.
Sorry, Stan. I want to sit in this moment for a minute. I love that. You guys are following directions. That's great. That was a test. (laughs) But I want you to look at these words. And I want you to determine if you're going to declare them to Jesus this morning. I will seek the one who matters most. I am connected to the vine. I am devoted to Jesus. Maybe you need to write these words on a piece of paper, on a three-by-five card, and put them in your Bible. So I see some of you taking pictures of this slide right now. Maybe you need to take a picture of this slide right now to just be a reminder. Maybe this is something you need to say at the beginning of every day that says, I will seek the one in this day that matters most. I am am connected to the vine who is Jesus, and I am devoted to Jesus. Let's not give God our leftovers anymore. Don't be a victim of your schedule. Don't be a victim of your life. Be more than a conqueror who Jesus has made you to be and be connected to the vine. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I am so grateful for your grace and mercy. Because while I believe this to be true, God, there are so many times I need to live it too. And I am thankful that your grace and mercy covers my screw-ups. That it covers my excuses that I have when I'm not living for you the way I should. But, oh God, in the middle of all that, I pray that all of us would be in your word so that our minds can be transformed. And so that we can truly say that I am committed to the one that matters most. I will seek the one who matters most. I am connected to the vine and I am committed to you, Lord. I'm committed to you, Jesus. God draws close. If there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know you as their savior, God, I pray that they would understand, God, that you died on the cross for their sins. You paid the penalty for their sins and that, Jesus, you are calling them to to, to come to you. And if they would just call on the name of Jesus, if they would call on the name of the Lord, they'd be saved right where they sit. God, I pray your spirit would move among us. Help us be connected to the vine, Jesus. It's in his name we pray.